What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Action Network Podcast. Welcome into the Action Network podcast. It is Friday, July 8th, 2022, and we are here with your UFC fight night betting preview. We join you every Friday when there is an event on Saturday, and this week we've got plenty to get to as we normally do on the podcast. We have the main event, which we'll get to momentarily, our favorite underdog plays, fight of the night, favorite props, Billy Ward will give us a DFS preview, and we'll get our best bets. Of course, Billy Ward, former MMA fighter, our MMA analyst here at Action Network, and Sean Zarillo, who does a great job covering MMA for us at Action Network. Brendan Glasheen, your host. We'll start with the main event. Rafael Dos Anjos, the former lightweight champion, taking on another Rafael. It's the Battle of the Rafaels this weekend. Rafael Fiziev. This was a fight that was scheduled in February, but then it got booted off the main event. And now they finally are going to get together here in the month of July. Billy, why don't you get us started here? And, and you've got a – this is atypical. You know, you, you don't really have much of an angle here on, on this fight, but you might have something for us. Yeah, you know, I, I had to get thematic for the All-Raphael main event. We got the Raphael T-shirt today for the, for the All-Raph main event. But, yeah, this is a tough one. I think if this fight were happening three or four years ago or even if RDA was a couple years younger, I would be all about his money line and where it's at. It's just a really big step up in competition for Fiziev. You know, and it's it's more or less a striker versus grappler matchup with RDA being the grappler, obviously. And, you know, Fiziev has shown awesome takedown defense so far in the UFC. It's like over 90%. I think he's been taken down once in five or six fights. But he hasn't fought anyone like RDA. And the angle that I'm looking at here is, you know, RDA has a ton of five-round experience, but this will be the first one for Fiziev. So if he can kind of weather the storm striking for a round or two, get a hold of him, bring him down to the mat, and ride out a few rounds – and I don't think RDA is one of the guys who's going to suffer from the scoring changes or the way we've seen the scoring enforced because he actually works pretty aggressively when he's on the top. He's not just controlling you. He's trying to beat you up. He's trying to find submissions. So initially, I was going to just do a little bit of a spring on RDA plus 180, but looked around, and I think the best way to play it if you want to be on the underdog side is you can parlay RDA in the over three and a half at plus 300 on DraftKings. I don't really see him winning early. I don't see him just storming through him. But if he can take over late, you know, get a late fourth round, fifth round stoppage or by decision, plus 300 is a pretty good line on that for a guy who's got some of the best wrestling in the division, especially as a lightweight. You know, he's fought up at welterweight as well. So I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on that at plus 300, but not a heavy bet for me. Not something I'm super confident in. All right. It's going to bug me. Is it is it Fiziev or is it Fiziev? It depends on who you ask. (laughs) Yeah, I'll defer to Sean. Fair enough. I just, you know, that's just the the host in me that, Wants to get it right, but I like RDA. That's that's a that's a nice way of putting it. When you have Rafael against Rafael, Sean Zarillo, what's your angle for the fight of the night or for the uh, main event? Yeah, I think Billy pointed out the most important factor is that Rafael Fazib has never been in a five round fight in MMA. He's had plenty of kickboxing matches, Muay Thai matches, vastly experienced in terms of the fight game. But in terms of MMA, we've seen him consistently slow down in third rounds, lose third rounds consistently, lost third round to Bobby Green. That had been a five-round fight. 
think Green might have taken over and won the fourth and fifth round. So phenomenal striker, good takedown defense, really quick hips. But Dos Anjos probably has the toughest strength of schedule in UFC history, both at 155 and 170. He's fought everybody. Khabib, Kamaru Usman, Eddie Alvarez, Colby Covington, basically everybody except Conor McGregor, who he was scheduled to fight. He has fought the best of the best in their prime. Tony Ferguson, Donald Cerrone, everybody he has faced. Um, may lose the first two rounds here in the striking if he can't get the fight to the ground, and you may get a better live price after round two, round three. So I would certainly look to target Dos Andros in the live market. I would also take a look at his round four and round five props because you can get some juicy numbers there, plus 2,100, plus 2,800, depending on round four or round five. I like the fight to end inside the distance at around even money, plus 120 out there. I think it should be closer to even money. Maybe Fazeev puts him down early or Dos Anjos takes over late, submits him, puts him out with some ground and pound if Fazeev is completely gassed out. So Dos Anjos on the money line around plus 185, I think is a fair price. I would make it closer to plus 150. But as I mentioned, you may get a better live price during the fight. So you could wait potentially and get a better live spot. My favorite bet is certainly the fight to end inside the distance or even the under four and a half rounds. I would just play the fight to end inside the distance, though, because those final two and a half minutes of the fight could be particularly sweaty on the favorite side. So definitely underdog in the unders here, but also the late props for Dos Andros as well, I think, are particularly juicy. Speaking of underdogs, we always get to our favorite underdog plays and looking up and down this card, with the exception of one fight, most of these are pretty close um, in terms of the odds. Who are we looking for, Zerillo, in the uh, who are we looking at here in the um, underdog market? So there's two underdogs that I really like this week. The first is Nina Nunez going against Cynthia Calvillo. Calvillo almost retired after her last fight. She took off the gloves, thought about throwing them down. That was a little weird. I actually thought that she was considering retirement there. Nunez came back after having a kid, a little, little, looked a little shaky. A little stiff in her first fight back against Mackenzie Dern. Historically, has very good takedown defense, around 76%. And I do view her as the better striker here. Calvillo is the grappler. Nunez, I would say, is the more well-rounded fighter. So if Nunez can keep this on the feet, use her takedown defense, keep this on the feet for longer stretches, I think she's going to look like a favorite as the striker. So getting around plus 125, plus 130 on her, on a line that I think should be closer to a pick maybe even plus 110 on her side, since she is slightly less grappling upside. I think is a fair price. And then also Michael Johnson around plus 200 against Jamie Malarkey. Skill for skill, I think this fight is to pick him as well. Johnson is just inherently trustworthy, untrustworthy. He tends to win the first round of his fights and then completely fall off of a cliff, not necessarily because of cardio, just because of the fight IQ decisions. He does very weird things in the cage. He's also faced the superior competition as well. So maybe just as skilled, more skilled, better strength to schedule. Marlarkey likes to wrestle. Do not love wrestlers who are non-American wrestlers trying to be the better grappler in their fights. Johnson has good takedown defense historically, 78% for his career. Good get-up game. View him as the Spears striker. So getting plus 200, I actually thought was kind of a wild price on him. It bakes in the fight IQ and the fact that he is so untrustworthy. But he's the bigger bigger hitter. Malarkey was knocked out in March. So Johnson's money line, his knockout prop, fight to end inside the distance, all where I'm looking. But the Johnson money line at plus 200, I think is certainly worth poking. Okay, Billy, where are you hunting in the dog market? Yeah, I'm kind of, unlike Sean here, I didn't really love a lot of the underdogs. I thought a lot of these closer fights were more about right than a clear value on either side. But I am looking at Aleman Zahabi against Ricky Tercios. Um, Tercios has only had one win in the UFC. 
or one fight in the UFC. It was a split decision win. Not especially impressive. I do think he's going to be better grappler in this matchup. But Tercios was knocked out by Anna Martinez shortly before coming to the UFC. Zahabi just won his last fight by knockout. I think it's kind of a striker versus grappler matchup to a degree. But one guy just has all the power and all the stoppage upside. And that guy's also about plus 160. So, you know, Sean pointed out last week when you're betting these favorites, you want them to have one of grappling or power. I think that kind of split between these guys, but one of them is plus 160. So I think he can figure it out and land the shots he needs to. I don't know if he puts them away or just lands heavier shots and wins the decision, which is why I'm not playing inside the distance. But yeah, he, oh, I wanted to mention he also has really take down defense, 72% in the UFC. So I don't know if Tercios is going to be able to get it to the ground. I think Zahabi wins the minutes when it's on the feet. Okay, very good. We move on to the guy's fight of the night. We have Kyle Barayal taking on Petro, uh, Armin Petrozian. <laughs> oh, geez, that makes me cringe. It's like I practice these and then all of a sudden we get on the air recording and it just doesn't go as planned. It's a. Uh, I'll, I'll put it like this, though, to set up the fight. Uh, it's, it's a clash of two styles. Uh, very differing fighters, Sean Zarillo. What's the angle? Yeah, Petrosian, the kickboxer, Baraya, more of a grappler. But he is pretty well-rounded, and I think both of these guys can push a pace. Petrosian's actually three or four inches taller, and Baraya has a four-inch reach advantage. So you don't typically see one guy have that big of a height advantage and the other guy have that big of a reach advantage. I do view Baraya as the more well-rounded fighter, as I said. More athletic, very strong in the clinch. And I think his control grappling is actually extremely solid. We saw Petrosian get taken down fairly easily in both his last fight against Robocop, his contender series fight. He is easy to get down, but he pops back up pretty quickly. So the fact of what will determine this fight is how long Baraya is able to keep him on the ground. If he tries to get back up, is Baraya going to be able to t- keep, take his back and submit him potentially? My concern with Robocop in that last fight is Robocop doesn't have much of a gas tank. So he doesn't repeatedly shoot takedowns and try to keep him down because he knows that's going to eventually tire him out. I think Barrio is actually capable of grappling for all 15 minutes. So I actually do like the favorite side in this matchup, projecting it around minus 250. But I'm also looking at the fight to go to a decision or Barrio by decision as well at plus money numbers. I believe plus 140 and plus 250 respectively on those. So Prefer the favorite side of the money line because I give him all of the grappling upside and I think the striking will be relatively competitive. But this may just go 15 minutes and be a close decision like Petrosian's last matchup where judges are basically weighing damage against control. And we've seen that tend to go towards the striker and the more damage, which Petrosian should be landing here. So maybe fight to go to a decision around plus 140, but also Barrio at minus 225 of the money line. All right, so I got Barayo, but Petrosian. See, it's, it's like sometimes you finally spell stuff out, it just doesn't go uh, the right way. How about you, Billy? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit in a different direction, Sean. I initially wasn't going to bet this one, but the line has moved on Petrosian just enough that I think he's shown some value to me at plus 190. And I'm glad Sean pointed out how able he was how much he was able to get back up in his last fight. Cause I think that's the key here. We we've seen the judging as of late, just getting a takedown means almost nothing. It's what you do with it when you're on the ground and Bahio being this long skinny guy that actually makes it easier for his opponents to get out from under him. There's more holes to escape through. There's more gaps with longer limb people. I think that actually helps Petrojan a little bit here in his ability to get back to the feet. They both have solid striking, but I definitely give the advantage to Petrojan there a little bit. And, you know, watching Bahio, it doesn't look like he's landing especially hard with most of the stuff he's throwing. Whether it is or isn't, I can say. Where Petrosian, he's just coming with a lot of speed, a lot of violence on the striking. So I think as long as he can get back to his feet 
in a relatively quick fashion, he's going to win some rounds here. And it's one of those with judging being what it is. If I can get one guy at plus 190 and it goes to a decision, I'm happy with that regardless of the outcome. You know, like there's a lot of fights we see that could go either way. But if you're on the plus money side of those, more often than not, you're going to come out ahead in the long run. So plus 190 is enough for me. The plus 170 or so he opened at wasn't, but I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on Petrosian. As we encourage you uh, when we do these UFC fight night episodes every Friday on the Action Network podcast, shop those lines when we look in the prop market. What's our prop this week, Sean? Yeah, a fighter that Billy is going to talk about that he likes on the money line. I actually prefer his prop odds. Treshawn Gore to win inside the distance at plus 225 projected this line closer to plus 125. So I actually see a pretty substantial edge at that number. Projected 70% of his win condition by finish, 30% by decision. That's how I ended up at that plus 125 number relative to the market, which is saying it's probably flipped and maybe 40% of his probability is inside the distance. So he fought Brian Battle for what was essentially the tough finale. Uh, I don't think it actually was the tough finale, but... They ended up, they were supposed to fight, and then they ended up fighting later. And it seemed like Gore was the better fighter. He just wasn't willing to let his hands go. If he had let his hands go more frequently, he was carrying substantially more power. He was getting huge reactions out of battle. Every time he let his hands go, he was just very conservative with how he used them. A very limited MMA experience. I believe he's three and one or four and one. Has more amateur fights. Doesn't actually have a knockout on his record. Has a few doctor stoppages, injury stoppages. So I don't know if he was hurting those guys necessarily and causing the fights to be stopped or if they were just accidents that were leading to the fight being stopped. But it's very clear that Treshawn Gore has a ton of power, and I'm not particularly fond of Cody Brundage's durability. This guy seems very hittable, very easy to be hit. And on top of that, he is the grappler here. And if he can't get this fight to the ground, he's probably going to be in trouble. So provided Gore lets his hands go, I think he's going to find a finish here, likely by knockout. Fight inside the distance at minus 130 also of interest to me as well. Okay, Billy, uh, what, what do you have for us on the prop market? Yeah, real quick on Sean's point. I, I think I'm with you, but, man, it's just really hard to trust a guy that he's going to figure out how to pull the trigger. Like, I don't know if that's a mental thing or, you know, what's going to happen. It's just we're, we're expecting a lot out of him in terms of progression. But, um, yeah, I'm looking at the heavyweight fight between Vandera and Sherman and doing something I almost never do, which is betting this one to go to decision at plus 165. You know, Vander is a fairly moderate or fairly heavy favorite here at minus 180, but he doesn't really stop anyone. You know, he just throws a ton of strikes, pitter-pats. I think Vander is definitely the better grappler here, but I don't think he'll be able to keep that up late into the fight. So the way I'm seeing it is if Vander gets a takedown early, this one's going to be real sweaty in terms of whether he's going to put away Sherman. Both of these guys get stopped on the ground like crazy. Neither of them have ever really been knocked out on the feet, at least in recent memory. And I just think this one, if it gets out of the first round, turns into a fairly boring, sloppy heavyweight fight with both guys touching but not really trying to take each other's heads off. So plus 165, that's fairly good odds on that. You know, it's a super low-level heavyweight fight. Neither of these guys are contenders. It's either going to stop pretty much right away so you could hedge it with the round one prop or we're going to a decision because neither of these guys are going to have the gas tanks later on in the fight. Moving on to uh, the DFS landscape. And we like to hit on this because we understand that some of you that want to get involved with MMA, whether it be UFC or whatever the event may be, uh, you can't get involved on the betting side. So we get Billy to give us a DFS betting preview. We have 12 fights on the card. Everyone's priced accordingly four fighters in the 9K range, and then you work your way down. You got your fighters in the 8K, 7K range. Only one fighter in Armfield who is in the 6K range. What's the approach, Billy? Any similarities or differences when we look at GPPs or cash? 
Yeah, you know, this one's interesting. There's only four fights that are favored and inside the distance. And, you know, a lot of the ones that are underdogs is pretty close. So we'll probably see more than four stoppages overall. But I'm expecting, you know, from a GPP standpoint, just a lower scoring slate than we normally see, which gives me some interest in stacking both Raphael's in the main event. Because when there's only 12 fights, it's harder to get unique. So having that stack helps a little bit there. People don't want to play opponents against each other. But that's hard if there's, you know, seven stoppages down the card for both those guys to put optimal scores. But if we only see three or four that end inside the distance, I like both of those guys. You know, Fiziev has very good striking output. RDA is going to push the pace and get up a lot of takedowns. So that's the main thing I'm looking for. You're almost definitely going to play that in cash. There's just not a ton to love outside of that. But I think it's sneaky in GPPs. And then, you know, the higher end fighters in terms of the salary that you mentioned, I don't really love any of those guys. We're not seeing those big stoppage odds. Those are definitely going to end inside the distance. So I think this is a really good slate to target some of those middle range fighters. We've got Lawrence Kakramona off the opener, which I think is going to produce a ton of points. Not entirely sure for who, but it's a fairly close fight. So you can mix in those guys. Same thing with Roberson versus Chakwu. I'm on the Kennedy side, but that one's pretty likely to end a knockout. Both guys swing really big. Both guys have probably somewhat questionable gas tanks. So I think just sticking to that middle range for GPPs is going to be the optimal play. Whereas cash games, you want to go and go high and low. I think Courtney Casey is a really good cash game play. She throws a ridiculous amount of strikes, like almost twice the UFC average per round. She's an underdog, so she's cheap, but that fight's 140 to end inside the distance, one of the longer odds on the slate. So she's one that I'd mix in for cash, but not GPPs. So I'm going to kind of have a barbell approach with, you know, heavy favorites and cheap fighters for cash, whereas in GPPs, I'm going to be trying to live more in that middle range. Just love your use of gas tanks on this episode, by <laughs> the way. Just uh, the fuel in the gas tank. That's been your go-to uh, phrase, it feels like, throughout the course of this episode. Uh, Zarillo, care to weigh in on Billy's outlook from a DFS standpoint? Yeah, as Billy mentioned, there's a lot of fights that are favored to go the distance this week. I actually probably want one of Jamie Malarkey or Michael Johnson in almost all my lineups. Cause I think either Malarkey has a ton of grappling upside or puts Johnson down or Johnson puts him down. So probably almost one of Malarkey or Johnson in all of my lineups beyond that. I actually don't really see a ton that I like to finish inside the distance. David Onama and Armfield, who is that late replacement fight. Onama is about minus 800. I would expect him to be extremely highly owned considering where he was priced relative to what was his previous matchup. So Anama might be in every single lineup this week. He's likely to finish. Maybe the contrarian play is to not include Onama. Okay, before we wrap, as we do every UFC betting preview on the Action Network podcast, let's go to best bets. Billy, why don't you get us started? Yeah, I'm going to do another two-piece here just because it worked out for me last week. But the first one I'm going to mention is Treshawn Gore. Pretty much Sean covered most of the main points there. I just think Cody Brundage is not really a UFC-level fighter, and his record's been – or he's been fairly fortunate to put up the record inside the octagon that he has. I'll put it that way. Like, Dolce Lungiambula was just giving him the work until he took a stupid shot and got guillotined, Max, and then Maximoff beat Brundage pretty easily. So – at minus 135, I'm pretty confident in Gore. Like Sean said, you know, if he lets his hands go, it could be a stoppage. I'm not willing to project that he makes that step forward and really lets him fly. But I see the angle there, too. And then the other one I'm looking at is Kennedy Nuzchekwu versus Carl Roberson. And that's a light heavyweight matchup. Kennedy is huge for the division. I think he's 6'3 or 6'5 with almost an 8-foot or almost 7-foot reach. He's got 9 inches in reach in Roberson, who's basically a striker. Roberson was just knocked out by Khalil Roundtree. 
Nostraku hasn't really lived up to the expectations a lot of people had for him, but I think he's actually in a lot of ways kind of similar to Roundtree, but just bigger. And he's a really good athlete, bigger and stronger. I think he finds his chin here. That's another one where I could see him outpointing him, but there's definitely an angle to play him by knockout or inside the distance if you want a little bit better odds. Okay, Sean, what do you got? Best bet. Go with the Heat. Ronnie Lawrence at about minus 125, minus 130 against Saeed Yakub Kakarmanov. I really like Ronnie Lawrence. I like his fighting style. He reminds me a little bit of Rob Devashvili because he just shoots takedowns at crazy volume. Attempts about 12 per 15 minutes, lands nine of them. Just takedown after takedown after takedown, which means he doesn't have the top control, but his striking actually looked pretty improved in his last fight against Mana Martinez. So I think he's kind of rounding out his game a little bit. We saw Kakarmanov struggle with the defensive grappling, good offensive grappling, but his defensive grappling in his UFC debut against Trevin Jones, got held up against the cage for a little bit, was taken down. So Lawrence should be the fairly clear minute winner here just because of the pace that he fights at. I think Saeed Yacoub needs a finish in order to win this fight. So massive grappling upside for Ronnie Lawrence, maybe more finishing upside for Kakarmanov. But I think that pace that Lawrence puts on people eventually gasses them out down the stretch as well. So maybe like Lawrence got clipped in round three last time against Mana Martinez, he gets put out, maybe gets guillotined on a takedown attempt. But buying large, I should see him winning every minute of this fight. UFC fight night, Dos Anjos against Fiziev is tomorrow night. You can catch all of it on uh, the ESPN family of networks, ESPN Plus. Main event is on ESPN. Forward to it, good stuff from the guys. Sean Zarello, Action Network senior writer, and our MMA analyst, Action Network writer, Billy War. That is going to do it for another episode of the Action Network podcast or UFC betting preview. We join you every Friday when there is an event on Saturday. Looking forward to it again next week, fellas. For both of those guys, Brendan Glasheen, be sure to uh, rate, review, subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. We'll join you next week. Good luck this weekend, and thanks for tuning into the Action Network podcast.